Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our scripture passage is from Isaiah's prophecy that you heard earlier in the service. We listen to words from Isaiah, the seventh chapter, verses 10 through 16. If you're following along in a pew Bible, you can find that passage on page 554, Isaiah 7, 10 through 16. Listen to the word of God. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as shale or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. Father, sanctify us in thy truth. Thy word is truth. Amen. Well, let me add my greetings to you all on this Christmas Eve. I hope uh, to be part of what it means today to spread joy, but I also hope to not spread anything else I have going on. I am very sick today, and so you can join me in praying that uh, the Daquil kicks in at the right time. I do not cough through this sermon, and we make it through, but there is something Uh, magical and healing about seeing your faces on a Christmas Eve, and I can't wait to join you again tonight in this room. There's a story I don't think I have told you yet about my trip to the little town of Bethlehem. I don't think I've told you that I've been to Bethlehem. Put this up. But 2017... I was part of a sponsored trip to the Holy Land, a group that was uh, wanting to help with uh, Jewish and Christian relations, sponsored 10 pastors and 10 rabbis from 10 U.S. cities to travel together to the Holy Land. I was one of the fortunate ones chosen. My travel companion and roommate for that week uh, was Neil Sandler, who he's now retired, but at the time he was rabbi of the AA synagogue here in Buckhead. And so, uh, this is my first and only trip to the Holy Land, but like lots of Jewish people, he had been many times, and like most Jewish clergy, he had been more than most Jewish people. I think it was like his 36th trip to Israel. And so, in many ways, it was his hometown. He never lived in Israel, 
but it was for him like hometown. It was homeland and Jewish center and ancestral land and regular pilgrimage, and it was holy and sacred to him. And not just because of the biblical heritage and all of the Jewish stuff, but because his story was tied in. He'd been so often, he knew the place and the corners and it was part of his life. It would have been, going with him to Israel would have been like if he had gone with me to Greenwood, which is where my parents and my family was from. Greenwood, South Carolina, if he'd have gone with me, I could have pointed out stuff, even though I had not lived there since I was two. But I'd been back so many times. I could have told him that the Dixie Drive-In is the best cheeseburger in town. And it's got slaw instead of uh, lettuce on it. And if you order a Dixie half and half, you will get onion rings and french fries, even though it's not on the menu that way. I knew stuff like this because it was my home, even though I never lived there for a long time. In the same way, he would pull me down alleys to show me the place where his favorite almond candy could be bought. And he took me down another deserted street to show me a special hand cream that I needed to buy to bring back to Melissa. Israel was holy to him not just because the tradition said it was holy to him. It was holy because he knew the shopkeepers and the street vendors and which hotels had the best breakfast. Well, one day, our group of 10 rabbis and 10 pastors were on our tour bus, and we were headed out from uh, Jerusalem a little ways when the when the tour guide, the Israeli tour guide, got on the little speaker, and he said, the driver's pulling over now. And I'm going to be getting off because uh, you all are about to enter into the West Bank, which is Palestinian, and it is not a safe place for me to be. You know what I'm thinking. Well, then why are you the only one getting off if it's not a safe place? He anticipated my question and others. He said, you are going to be fine. You're American tourist. You'll be fine. You'll be in good hands. They're going to pick up your Palestinian tour guide when you cross over into the West Bank. I will see you all later this afternoon. He got off the bus. And when we crossed over, traveled across the border into Palestine, it was a disruptive visual change. Because of the Israeli government's neglect, there were piles of garbage, slum-like conditions, tattered laundry hanging, neglect in various shades of bruise and dung, and we drove past slum and disregard into Bethlehem, the birthplace of the Prince of Peace. All I could think was, The child who was born in a stable here would not be welcome here today. Jesus was a Middle Eastern Jew. What have we done? Have we created a world where bordered hate would keep Jesus from his birthplace? 
Well, as we know, the Palestinian-Israeli border tensions that I experienced in 2017 have now erupted into unspeakable acts of evil and more than 17,000 people dead. Same as it ever was, I suppose. Because about 2,800 years ago, in the same region, there was also border wars and hate. After a season of regional peace, neighboring Assyria had gotten a strong army, and they decided to start taking over neighboring lands. And under the leadership of Tiglath-Pileser, they were encroaching on the borders of their neighbors. Israel's northern kingdom had already fallen, and now Judah on the south can almost smell the breath of Assyria's encroaching power. And Judah's king, King Ahaz, is shaking nervous. He's ready to form alliances and bolster the army and increase munitions and trust his ability to kill as an answer to the Assyrian army's ability to kill. That's what threatened people do. And our prophet Isaiah rebukes the king, rebukes his response to the impending threat. And Isaiah speaking in God's voice in our scripture today says, again the Lord spoke to Ahaz saying, ask a sign of the Lord your God But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, the Lord will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you are in you are in dread, will be deserted. So the king is invited to ask for a sign, but he declines, uh, feigning a pious kind of refusal. But the, really the reason he's scared to ask for a sign is he doesn't trust God enough. The king trusts swords. So Isaiah points to a woman nearby who's wearing maternity clothes and says, you see this soon-to-be mom, by the time that child eats regular food and knows right from wrong, this skirmish is going to be over. Trust God. Trust love. Because the reign of God's love is the only power in the world that can cure a world committed to to hate and violence. Now today's reading raises a few questions about prophecy, right? I mean, most of my life, I was told that when Isaiah was talking about the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and you shall name him Emmanuel, I was always told the prophet was talking about Jesus. Well, he wasn't. He's wasn't predicting the coming of Jesus of Nazareth. He was talking about that child right there who was with the woman in the swollen feet and the maternity clothes. Except in a real sense, this prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus. 
we now have retroactive clarity in our Christian hindsight that Jesus is the complete fulfillment of the Jewish hope. We've said it many times in here, the Jewish people are waiting on Messiah, the one who is going to come and save them. But they are waiting on a warrior king, the one who will lead armies into victory. They're waiting on another King David who will rule with sword and threat and might. Political and military power was their great hope. And sadly, not much has changed. 2,800 years later, and if we've learned anything, we've learned that political and military power will not save us. Throughout this holy week, in the holy land of Israel, war is still ripping things apart. War is at times a necessary evil. It is still an evil. There is another way. And Isaiah reminds us, for unto us a child is born. King Ahaz does what every king does. Israel's leader gathers and equips an armed response. But the prophet points to a new way. He points to a woman in maternity clothes and says, by the time that child eats regular food and knows right from wrong, this skirmish between kings is going to be over. Trust that there's another way. Trust love. Because the reign of God's love is the only power that is profound enough to heal this broken world. Tomorrow morning we will awake to a child in swaddling clothes who has the power to change all of history. Indeed, the baby born in the West Bank has changed all of history. We've just been slow to hear believe, and adopt his message. Jesus meets every threat with bigger batches of love. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist evil. Instead, love outrageously. Love your enemies, he said. Pray for those who persecute you. Armies and artilleries have no chance against that. The greatest power in the world is to love in outrageous and extreme ways. Fighting is what most people of this world do when they are threatened. But the baby who was born in a manger in the Palestinian West Bank came to tell us that the only power in the world that can save us is love. Now, much of what I like about the Christmas season is all of the warm, intimate family stories and traditions. Many of you have a family cookie recipe that you've passed on for generations. Some of you exchange a gift with a sibling that's really more of an inside joke than it is a gift. I love all of this stuff. I cry at Publix commercials. I mean, I'm, I just... I love all of this Christmas stuff. 
the cocoa and the intimate and the personal. But it's also worth remembering that God sent his only begotten son, not so that we might have sweet occasions in cocoa. Unto us a child is born so that the world might be redeemed through the power of love. And wars ended and wrecked lives reclaimed and hunger conquered and violence ceased all because inside a manger lay the hope of the world. His message was that the only power in the universe that can heal our fracture is to love each other beyond reason. And the baby grew up to show us how. Only we've mostly ignored him. Some of you will know the name Will Campbell. Others will not. Will Campbell was a plain-spoken Tennessee Baptist prophet and author who died just a few years ago. And he is one of the people who tried to live in this most outrageously loving model. He was the only white face pictured at the founding of Dr. King's Southern Christian Leadership Conference. And then he confounded his friends when he more or less became chaplain to the Ku Klux Klan during the Civil Rights era. And his simple response to the people who were hurling things at him from both sides of all of that, he'd say, if you're going to love one, you've got to love them all. Anyway, this bootleg preacher was once invited to deliver a college graduation speech that I heard and loved. And I looked all over online to see if I could find it, to quote parts of it to you, and I couldn't find it anywhere. So I'm going to tell this story and make all kind of errors in it. But it's going to be, the gist of it's going to be more or less there. It was a made-up story, he told at this graduation, of a professor on a college campus who was convinced that if he could accurately feed a computer with all the right data, he could predict the end of time. So he got together a large class from various disciplines at the university. They signed up to participate in this novel experiment. And they fed the computer every class day with more and more reports. Global warming, widening income gaps, disease, childhood hunger, Middle Eastern border wars, discrimination, natural disaster, generational poverty. They were putting it all in the computer, all the data. From every corner and angle and discipline, the students were putting in the raw data. And then, last day of class... The professor hit all the keys for the data to get uh, computed, and he read to the class the printout. According to the data, the world as you know it will end in six years and 29 days. Well, the students were horrified, and they started 
No, 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 no. And they started shouting back, it's not all in there. All the data is not in there. There's stuff we haven't included yet. There's stuff that nonprofits are doing that's not in there yet. There's stuff that churches are doing that's not in there yet. We've got more data to put in. And so the professor agreed and decided to offer the class one more semester so that they could have an exhaustive search of all the data into the computer for these tallies to take place. And so the popularity of the class grew, obviously. Now there are dozens of classrooms. There are hundreds of computer terminals. Students work feverishly to account for all of the balancing good against all of the world's challenges. And at the end of the next semester, the class had to be held, the, the, the group of all of them couldn't fit in any one classroom, so it had to be held at the university's football stadium. They hooked up the big computers with big screens and big speakers and hooked it all up to some kind of voice uh, analyst thing so that the, the results would be spoken out across the stadium and not read by the professor. The massive computer was hooked up. When the blinking lights faded, all the tallies counted. The computer voice declared packed to the packed stadium. The earlier projection was wrong. The world as we know it will not end in six years and 29 days. In light of new data, the world as we know it will end in eight years, 14 days. Panic, horror, terror, mayhem. Folks were going crazy. Folks ran to call home. Students cried. They hugged each other. Some of them rushed the stage. One guy who rushed the stage in a, his panic grabbed the keyboard and started pounding out, is there anything we can do? Is there anything we can do? And to everybody's astonishment, the computer spit back another voice. Yes. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. God in Jesus is saving the world through love. It is our only hope. The baby in the manger is the hope of the world. And Jesus said, come, follow me. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.